Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. chapter 9, reading with verse 16, and um, the next three services, meaning tonight, Sunday morning at 10, and also Sunday at 11, we'll certainly have a three, a theme, and uh, I want, want God to help us to grow individually. I mean, want to be better tomorrow than you are today. And my my wife over the years has said to me, and uh, she said, I, I love you more today than I did yesterday. She says, I'm going to love you more tomorrow than I do today. That's quite a statement. What she's saying, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow in love for you. It's a statement of commitment. I don't want it to be any different for the the Lord. Amen. Paul said, I love him because he first loved me. I'm very glad he reached down and picked you up out of a mess, cleaned you up, fixed you up, turns you around. Oh, I feel like preaching when I talk like that. I mean, oh, he picked us up. He's the lifter of my head. I'm not what I used to be. I am better than I've ever been. Would you clap your hands and thank God for that? Hallelujah. The book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 9, reading with verse 16, it says, No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. He said, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles. Else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. I'd like to talk to you tonight about being willing to change. Being willing to change. The title that I will speak to you tonight is simply Guilty for Nothing. Guilty for Nothing. I want you to lift your hands and ask God to speak to your spirit. Lord, we love you today. We worship you, oh God. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody says, Amen. 2 Peter chapter 3, reading with verse 10. You may be seated. And... uh, It tells us in this portion of Scripture, I'm going to read a few verses tonight and um, just follow along if you will. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Aren't we so glad about the wonderful lady that was baptized tonight? We're so thrilled. 
I'm telling you, it makes a difference. How many remember when God washed your sins away? Praise the name of the Lord. And um, it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This is going to happen to the earth, is that the earth is going to be hit with a, really the wrath of God. And uh, he told Noah when he got off the boat, it will never flood water again. The rainbow that appeared in the sky was the very first rainbow that had ever been seen. It's when the moisture content of the earth changed, the, the, the oxygen content, content of the earth changed. and It had never rained before the flood, and after the flood, you see a rainbow, it looks like the, the rain, the clouds are leaving. But when he saw that token in the sky, he said, I'll never destroy the earth with water again, and geologists have proven the flood, by the way. And uh, he said, but next time it's going to be fire. It's going to be melt down to nothing. And um, that's what scripture tells us, is that through prophecy, that's what God is going to do. Verse 11 says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And when you begin to look at this, is, um, and let's, let's go to another verse, and it's in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 7, or chapter 1, excuse me, in verse 7. It's a, it's a powerful scripture that we believe. And it, and it says in verse 7, it says, and to you who are troubled, everybody say troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Can I stop here in my Bible reading when I look at the verse and it says, hey, if you're troubled... Rest with us. And then the next few verses, the next few words are, he's coming back in a flaming fire and taking vengeance on them that know not God. I don't know about you, but that does not make me want to go to sleep. Vengeance of God, fire and destruction. But if you will continue to read, he says, but when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. What is he saying? Yes, there is a wrath of God that will come against sin and people that obey not the gospel of God. But our hope isn't in the wrath. Our hope is understanding he's coming after a church that has made themselves ready. Like the lady tonight that was baptized. She might have went down a sinner that gave her life to God, but when she came up, every sin she's ever committed was washed away. I mean, no, the Bible says put off the old man, you put on a new man. Amen. You put on the, away the old garment, you put on a new garment. There, there is a change, and when you know, I'm not what I used to be. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Could I say he cleansed the earth before? He will do it again, but we're not going to burn up in that judgment. Oh, no. He's taking me with him to the other side. We're going in the rapture, the coming of the Lord. Somebody shout amen. I can't help but get excited because I know where my heart is, and I know where my, where, where my home is going to be. It's not going to stay down here. He's going to take me to heaven. How many believe in heaven tonight? The Bible says it's gates of pearls and walls of jasper. Do you know that when John the Revelator saw the new Jerusalem, when he saw the new heaven 2,000 years ago, when his head popped up through eternity and he looked around, you know what the first thing that he saw was? It wasn't the streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper, no, a place of no pain. He lists no sorrow, no party, no death, no taxes. I, he didn't mention that, but I think that's in there. No headaches, no disease. He didn't list that. The first thing he said was, and there was no more sea. You know what he was saying? The first thing I see about heaven isn't something that was there. It was something that was not there because he had been placed on the island of Patmos, tortured by the beating of the waves. He was being persecuted. He had been put there because he was a preacher of the gospel. That's how they would persecute, is drive them crazy by this place, by the pounding of the waves day in and day out. The loneliness of the pounding of the waves, it would drive a person crazy. They would put them there for the hat. But while he was in that place of torture, God took him to the heavens. And the first thing he noticed was, guess what? There's no waves here. The thing that was torturing me down here is not on the other side. Can I tell you, heaven's going to be worth going to. The thing that's tortured you here isn't going to be over there. Come on, clap your hands and shout hallelujah. My grandmother, my grandmother struggled with Alzheimer's and in the latter years of her life. And there was moments that she knew something was wrong but couldn't clarify the, the issue and and she would grab her head, and there was moments that she didn't understand what was going on and who was in the room, and the times she didn't recognize me or my mother. And it was, it was, it was, it was troubling to see that. But I'm going to tell you, when she got to the other side, she knew there's no Alzheimer's over here. Come on, there's no cancer over here. There's no pain over here. There's no sorrow. Heaven's worth making a home. Come on, it's worth getting to. I want heaven to be my home. Somebody shout amen. I don't want, I'll never forget standing, standing at the, uh, we were playing football or kickball, elementary school, and my cousin's name is Jamie. And Jamie looked at me and he said, Aaron, I want you to know that I want to go to hell. He knew I was a preacher's kid. We were second or third cousins. And, and uh, I said, is that, I said, you want to go to hell? He said, that's where all the rock stars are. He says it's going to be a big party down there. Now, I, was, I lived in a pretty good bubble in church all the time. I was born on Sundays and church on Wednesday. And uh, that Wednesday, it was like right around the corner. And uh, just, just church, 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 a lot of church my whole life. I didn't know there was a song about the highway to hell. It's going to be a big party there. The rock stars, that's what it said. 
that said there's no stop signs. Mama, mama, something about mama can't. You, I'm going to hell. Nobody can stop me. That's what the song, Highway to Hell. How many's ever heard of the song? It's a lie. Hell is a miserable place. The Bible says weeping and gnashing of teeth, the regret there. The, you, once you get there, you're not getting out of there. It, it's, a, it's a place. It's a place for sinners. It's a place for people who disobey God. It's a place of the, but it, that can be the worst of the worst. And I'm going to tell you, but the song also said there's no stop signs. Nobody can stop me. I'm going to tell you, the church is a stop sign. You don't have to go there. Come on, you don't have to go to hell. There's a place that God has prepared for you. You can't. Can I say to you, you can turn your life around. There's a way that is better than any way of the world. It is a way of righteousness. How many want to do right and be right? I come to tell you, you can. By the grace and the mercy of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. He said, he said, when he began to talk about heaven and we look for heaven, it says, wherefore, beloved, verse 14, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I want to live a life that, that's acceptable to God. I don't want to live a reckless or careless life, but a life of integrity that decisions are, are made with wanting to do the right thing. He said, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Y'all see it? I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3 and, and 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Salvation. Everybody say salvation. And it goes on and says, and please know, it's not one and done with God. It's not you make a mistake and he's finished with you. What does, what does it say? Um, go, go. And it says an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Is salvation. You know what that you know what suffer long means? It means not suffer, but it means patient. He's been long patient with you. Some of you in the building made one mistake. God's done with me. He's gonna kill me. I don't know. My kids were born, not one of them was born with clothes on. I mean, they didn't come and say, Hey mom, hey dad, I'm hungry. And uh, they they had they they got accents because we had we had southern accents because they begin to mirror like we do talk like we do and when my kids slipped and fall I didn't you're not gonna believe this but my kids didn't come out of the womb knowing how to walk had to be taught and we were thrilled thrilled. To be in the room. I've been there awesome moments with not only my own children, but sometimes with friends' children. We we have a music weekend coming up in a in a few, in in November. And Brother and Sister Jennings are going to be here with us. A powerful, amazing people going to do a music weekend with us. Powerful preacher, and they're both great singers, and I'm excited about it. But I got to watch, I got to watch Onyx take some of his first steps. I did their wedding back in Texas, so it was awesome to I was be able to be there. When he took some of his first steps. And uh, it's exciting. And when he fell, I, I didn't say, oh my goodness. When Finn or Jillian or Lakin or Sawyer fell, I, di I didn't say, what in the world? Quit acting like your mama's out of the family. 
I don't know, because I, I want to be able to walk out of the room. Amen. But, uh, I don't know. When, when, when we're sitting there and, the, and they're taking their first step, I had a cousin that would hold on to his own shirt. That's not safe, by the way. But, but when they fail, you know what I do? I'd reach down and pick him up. And you know what they learned? Is if they started to stumble, they'd start reaching for me. Because they knew I was about helping them and not hurting them. When you make a mistake and you feel like it's over, you're with your mouth and action, it's, it's done, and you feel like God's against you, that's not of the Lord. When you come to the Lord and you give your life to God and you're trying your best to live for Him and uh, uh, you, you get out of the way a little bit, any of you ever lived for God and get out of the way, said something, did something, act, saw something? I lands, we need a repentance service in here. You know what you do at that moment? The devil said, told you wasn't good enough. There are voices. And they're voices of condemnation. And condemnation, meaning God's against you, is never of God. Condemnation, the Bible says in Romans 8 and 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And what I want to teach you is that the devil will try to get you to grow faster than what you're supposed to grow. And if you begin to compare yourself with somebody else, it wouldn't be fair for you to come to the church and compare your righteousness to Sister Mealy. You're going to have a bad day. The devil's going to say, well, Sister Mealy doesn't act like that. And you want you to say, well, I'm not Sister Mealy. She's been in church for a few years longer than I have. We're going to say a few years. Amen. And, uh, but what I'm saying is, is that's how the devil gets you to quit. As he attacks you with an emotion that's not supposed to be there. Guilt, condemnation are never from God. Never. And you can have a moment of mishap. And when you, when you stumble... The devil, the devil says, or you say because of how you were raised or your background. And some people are, are, are self-destructive in their way of thinking and their way of speaking. I'm going to tell you something I learned years ago. Don't ever say, uh, Aaron, you're so dumb. I've had those moments. Aaron, you're such an idiot. Aaron, I can't stand you. And uh, finally, finally I stopped. Because if we're not careful, we're going to live out what we speak. Amen. You hear, hear pastor tonight. And what happens is we speak out of an emotion that shouldn't even be there. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel sorry. Uh, uh, you shouldn't feel, have a negative emotion for making a mistake. But the emotion shouldn't be quitting and condemnation, meaning I'm done and God's against me. It should be rejoice not against me, O my enemy. For when I fall, I shall rise. you got to start speaking scripture instead of family dynamics and where you came from. you got to start speaking his word. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How about this? A just man falls down seven times, but he rises again. We don't call him a failure. We don't call him a mishap. 
We don't call him a mistake because he fell seven times. For him to fall seven times meant he had to get up in between every time. That means he has to rise seven times. And before the seventh failure, he had already stood up six times and said, I'm going to make it. You've got to make up in your mind. My failure will not be final. I'm getting up and going to do what God called me to do. Somebody shout hallelujah. I want you to shout with me. You've got to get up again. Come on, get up again. I wish somebody would jump to your feet and shout, get up again. You've got to get it in your spirit. I'm going to get up again. I'm not done. It's not over. Somebody shout hallelujah. I would say to you tonight, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Don't stay down. He didn't say if I fall. He said when I fall. You're not God. You are not God. You are not Jesus. Did you hear me? Why I pray to Jesus is because I am not him. I need him. The reason I come to church on Sunday, because I need to be in his presence. I need to be in his house. He is the lifter of my head. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. You can be seated. And so, and so when you begin to read this, in the context of understanding, there is a judgment. There is going to be fire. There will be hell. There is a lake of fire. There are those things. And that we should be acknowledging that and realize that there's a punishment for sin. But there's also the blessing of righteousness. It's not just about avoiding hell. I used to worry about hell all the time. Now I'm just looking forward to heaven. There's a, there's a moment that you're trying to get to, get to heaven by saying, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I understand that. But that was in my, 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 my earlier days. I'm not saying I don't think about hell don't have a fear of it. But that's not what I'm looking at. I've got my eyes set on the sky. I don't know when it's coming, but I know it's coming soon. It may be in the morning, evening, night, or noon. I'm going to be ready. I want to be ready. And I tell you, you can be ready and know beyond the shadow of a doubt. You can know how to get peace, Pastor. Pastor, I live from, from failure to failure and from, from mistake to mistake. And, and uh, I, I, just, I just hope he'll let me in. You don't have to live that way. Oh, no. Once you realize he's for you, I'm not telling you just go live whatever. There's doctrines out there. There's false doctrines called doctrines of grace, and it's labeled. That says you can just live any way you want to, and God's going to save you. Oh, no, 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 no. That's reckless living. That's false doctrine. He said in Romans 6, 1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because God's loving, God's merciful, God's gracious. I just keep doing what I do, live any way I want to live. The old sinful nature, and God loves me. He's just going to let me in. Oh, no, no, no. That's reckless living. Righteous living is when you say, I want to please him. I'm going to change to become what he wants me to be. He doesn't want me to be bound. He doesn't want me to be miserable. He doesn't want me to be this way. Oh, no, he's got a better way for me. I mean, no, he is the way. And with that way, he gives you joy. He gives you strength. Paul said, I am what I am because of Jesus Christ. I mean, believe that. You can't do it on your own. God gives you the power to do it, and that is the doctrine, true doctrine of grace. It's the reason I'm able to be righteous, because God's empowered me to become righteous. When my kids fall, guess what we do? Come on, you can do it. Grab daddy's hand. They're reaching up, and here's how my kids learn to walk. Holding on to daddy's hand. 
You know why? Because I love them. And I want to see them walk. And when you fall, God's not kicking you. Oh, look at him down there. No, he knows you're trying. And the mercy is always applied in direction. And if you're going away from God, he has to stand back. He will send things in your path to turn you around. He'll send issues in your life, sometimes judgment in your life, not to destroy you, but to redirect you. Even on the wrong direction, that's the mercy of God. But I'm telling you, if you're, if you're trying and walking toward him, slipping and falling, I'll tell people all this. If you make a mistake, don't, don't run from the church. Run to the church. You fail, don't run from God. Run to God. Somebody shout hallelujah. And if you fall, everybody, look at your neighbor and say, if you fall, fall forward. Reaching for him. And I promise you what he's going to do, he's going to pick you up. Because the Bible says he picked me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet up on a rock. Everybody say, he set me up. The Bible says an account that the long-suffering. Everybody say, the Lord is patient with me. Can you, can you picture his hands out into the earth reaching for you? Would you just reach up? Come on, everybody just reach up. Why don't you reach both hands and say, I need you to help me walk. I promise you, he's the one that picks you up. Somebody say with me, God loves me. How many believe that? Wave your hands and say, God loves me. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You know what that means? He's patient to give us salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. It says, as also in all his what? Epistles. Are y'all are y'all with me? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Are you... Are you can you follow me, back, follow me back there? It says, it says in his epistles. Epistles mean letters. And Paul writes in his letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. That, that word rest means to wrestle. People begin to wrestle the scripture. As they do also the other, verse, the next, the other scriptures under their own destruction. Listen, somebody asked me, they said, what do y'all believe in the apostolic church? I said, I said, we don't change scripture to fit what we believe. We change our lives to fit what the word says. I've seen people wrestle, twist scriptures to get something out of them, to make them feel better about something that's wrong. I'm not going to do it here. Neither should you. We got to live according to his word. It is what it is. It says what it says. And if you obey it... I promise you, you will get the outcome of that scripture, and that's joy and peace. How many know that? And the fruit of the Spirit that will follow your life if you will obey his word. You don't want somebody making you feel good about something that's destroying you. Don't wrestle the scripture. Obey the scripture. And it goes on and says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked. I don't want to be with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. He said, be careful in this last day that you fall away from what was right, what was biblical, what was true. He said, this is what I want you to do. Everybody say, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
To Him be glory both now and forever. I'm just going to preach a few more minutes here tonight. But I do feel from the Lord what I'm going to tell you. Last week I, last, last week I talked to you uh, uh, about margins in your life and having space in your life. The week before I talked about enjoying life. Tonight I'm going to try to remove something from your life that was never of God. And that is guilt. When you make a mistake, and I'm redundant, repeating what I said earlier, but again, God's not done if you make one mistake. But if you give up and think he's done with you, you have fallen into disobedience and unbelief and not viewing God in the faithful eyes that you should. You've got to realize he is for me, not against me. And I've got to learn to be righteous. That word is sanctification. That, that's what that means. Everybody say sanctification. The Bible says, uh, uh, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. Sanctification means to be made holy over a process of time. Somebody, somebody gets baptized tonight, somebody gets baptized Sunday, they're, they're not going to get in their car and all the radio stations are on Christian. They go home and they go home and the television is on a Christian playing prayer music. They don't go to their phone and all those bad contacts are erased. You know how many people I've baptized and they get their phone and throw it in the trash can? That's true. You know why? They said, because I'm connected to a bunch of people I shouldn't be. You know what sanctification does? It doesn't erase the phone. It doesn't erase the radio station. It doesn't erase the people. Sanctification through his word says, but hold on a minute. Something's not right about this. I'm deleting that out of this. And an act of of righteousness, sanctification starts removing things out of my life that are not like him. Because if I keep things in my life that are from my past, I'm going to end up in my past. But if I will come to the knowledge and realize there's some things in my life I do not need anymore. So I remove those things and that is sanctification. And what happens is if we're not careful, we, 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 we live in this expectation is everything's going to happen today and if I make a mistake tomorrow, then God didn't save me. That's not true. It's day to day, here a little and there a little. I mean, no, he's still working on us. How many of you have the Lord still working on you? I'm going to be better tomorrow than I am today. But thank God I'm better today than I was yesterday. And so he tells them in that commitment to commit to grow in grace. Jesus never laid hands on a baby and it became an adult. Bring all the little children. Boom, 30-year-olds. Amazing. Letting you skip all that growing stuff. He didn't. You know what he said? Obey your mother and your father. Grow. Even Jesus, the Bible says, he grew in wisdom and in stature. And but you come in. And, and, and have this expectation that you're going to skip all the growing process. And growing process is painful. Growing process is making mistakes. Somebody said you either win or you learn. I'm going to do it better next time. I wonder what would happen if the demeanor of the church, the demeanor of everybody in this room was, I'm not failing, I'm learning. I'm an engineering student. My degree's in civil engineering, and it was emphasis on building and uh, structural design with uh, building bridges. My professor made the statement that failure is so much a part of engineering 
that if we had not failure, we would have never had any structural things built because every engineering structural equation was defined by failure. And in a, um, um, in a speaking and motivation, they have learned that no one strengthens without some level of failure. So they are actually trying to change the term failure, the definition of failure, and make it a positive thing because your failure isn't destroying you. Your failure is growing you. And what you do with your failure is what I've come to preach about tonight. Are you going to sulk and give up and self-pity and beat yourself down? Or are you going to stand up and say, I learned something from that I won't ever do again. I'm coming out of this stronger, wiser, bigger, better. That's what you got to get a hold of. Failure is not final. I want you to shout with me, failure is not final. And if you're not careful, the devil comes in and you listen to voices, you listen to people. I've, I've had to remove people in my life that do not have faith, that do not believe, and speak down. I just made my mind years ago, I am going to live for God as a teenager. And if they're going to tell me I can't live for God, I'm sorry, but those days are over. I am moving on. I am growing in God, and I'm going to be what God wants me to be. Can I tell you, you need to come out of this church tonight saying, I'm growing. I'm going to be better tomorrow. I'm going to be better than I've ever been. This is going to be my greatest year ahead of me. Somebody say Amen. And when you, begin, when you begin to look at this concept, and, and even in 1 John chapter 3, makes a profound statement. And I'm, uh, a story I haven't told in a while, but I will tell, is that I'll never forget that I was, I told the Lord, Brother Zion, I told the Lord I was going to go on a fast. And uh, I, I, I made a covenant with God and that I was going to do this fast. And uh, I don't know if I forgot, I don't remember, it's been too long now, that... I didn't fulfill the fast like I had committed to. And a voice spoke to me. And don't, and don't think for a minute you don't have voices that speak to you. I mean, know what I'm talking about. You feel like something in your ear. Can you, any, anybody relate to that? Raise your hand. And a voice spoke to me and said, because you did not fulfill your covenant, you will never fast again. That's condemnation. But I actually thought it was a real voice. I thought it was something from God. And I remember going on a fast, and I would, would consistently fast on uh, a lot of times Mondays or whatever. For 24 hours, I'd go with no, no food for 24 hours, just fasting. It's good. It's biblical. It's right. And uh, there's different types of fast. I'm not telling you you have to do that one in specific. But I would, I would, man, I would go on this fast that was normal, not the extended one that I, I didn't fulfill. I'd go on a fast, and, and uh, it'd be like 23 hours into it. I'd reach in the refrigerator, refrigerator and grab a, got a drink of Pepsi, like one hour out, not thinking, not intentional. And I was like a voice would say to me, told you. I'd try it again and fast. Somewhere into it, I put a cert in my mouth, told you. I don't know where the voice came from, but it, it just rolled in my mind. I felt like God was against me. And at the end of the day, I felt condemned and I felt very, very guilty. Finally, one day I realized that what I'm feeling guilty about is toward a God that doesn't act like this. 
He's, he's not a God that's one and done. He's not a God that doesn't understand the imperfections of mankind. That's why he had to come down and step as a substitute for us because none of us are perfect. And he said, when he said in that prayer, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. And that just because, for whatever reason, I didn't fulfill a fast, that God was forever done with me and I would never be able to be as close to him as I was going to be ever again because I didn't fulfill something that I should have fulfilled. And all of a sudden it hit me. This isn't of God, this is of some other source. And I can't listen to something that's not of God. And I went on the longest fast I had ever been on in my life. And I realized it wasn't the voice of God because how would I go on a fast that was longer than any fast I'd ever been on in my life if God said you will never be able to fast again? The truth of the matter is the voice wasn't from God. It was either from this this flesh of mine that can speak negatively, think negatively, do wrong. I mean, you know, your worst enemy is not out there somewhere. It's here. I mean, no, it's the truth. Would you say amen? And that voice that told me that I would never be able was a lying voice because I overcame that. You know what I realized I was guilty about? I was guilty about nothing. I was guilty about something that wasn't even real. I felt guilty about something that did not even exist. God was not against me. Somewhere within me, I thought God was against me. And so here I was trying to just scoop along through life instead of thriving through life because I feel unworthy, not good enough, and guilty. And you know what I learned? If you feel guilt, it's never of God. And I come to preach to you tonight as your pastor. Guilt is never of God. God does not make you feel guilty to get you to do something that's better for you. He will empower you. He will strengthen you, and he will give you joy. Amen. Guilt is not of God. I want you to shout, guilt is not of God. You, something goes wrong. Well, if I'd have just prayed five more minutes, six more minutes, seven more minutes, if I'd have prayed another day, fasted another day, and you live in the guilt of what should have been, can I tell you, that's the devil with his hands on your back trying to push you to something God's not pushing you to. And hear me tonight as I preach under the inspiration of God. God would never push you to where he's not. He'll always pull you to where he is. He's not pushing you to grow faster than you should be. He's not pushing you to make you something that you're not. God always draws you. That's why no man coming to God except the Spirit draws him. And when you feel hope and you feel love and God is calling you, if you have a voice that says it's over, God is against you. God does not love you. You are not good enough for him. I'm going to tell you, you need to say no to that devil. And you need to say, I am who God says I am. I'm getting up. I'm going to do a work for the Lord. Somebody shout, guilt is not of God. Somebody shout, guilt is not of God. He said in 1 John 3 and 20, it says like this. It says, for if our heart condemn us. How many know you can condemn yourself? God. Somebody shout, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. He said, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence Toward God. I wish somebody in this room would be able to reach out to the Lord and know God is for me. Years ago, I got out of balance. I talked a little bit about it last week. And uh, I was so driven. I was driven. I was sincere. But I was driven. Lost people. People that need reached. 
I'd fly into cities where there were millions of people in houses and thinking about the coming of the Lord as I read tonight that I began to run faster than I should have been involved in more than probably I should have. My intentions were pure. But I've learned that, that you can take things because of guilt. I would preach meetings because of guilt. I would run to things because of guilt because I was afraid of perception that somebody didn't think I would care. And guilt at moments was a driving factor of my life. I, I, I mentioned it last week that there was moments that I would pull into the hospital. I would run in, run up the steps, pray for somebody and give them quality time. I wouldn't rush it. When I'd leave and I'd run to another because I felt guilty a lot. Guilty. I was on ten boards, pastoring two churches, traveling. Brother Brown, it was, a, it, was a, it was a season that I got into, lack of wisdom. A lot of things I would have probably done different. And I preached about it last week is that I learned to remove the rush from my life. God doesn't rush. He's methodical. How many know that? Amen. Only one place I find God, God rushing, in, at least in the parable, that was the father. And he was running to his son that returned home. Otherwise, he's methodical. He walks with me and he talks with me. I had a rush in my life, and when I was standing here, and I told how I had the, the is a TIA or mini stroke, and, and uh, standing here, and it looked like you poured water or milk right to left, numb on the right side of my body. I'm laying in the back of an ambulance, and I can see how oh, the ambulance, when I'm laying there, they're rushing me from Genesis to Riverside in the ambulance. I can see my wife following me in the car, and, uh, and I could see her back there, and, and it was a scary time. Rushing me in an ambulance to see my wife in the car following the ambulance. Didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, found out a blood clot was in my body and went to my brain. And uh, they tell me all these things. I'll never forget what happened. The lady walked in, the doctor. only saw her one time. She walked in the room. She said, uh, you got a, I, I can tell you've got a full schedule and you're a coffee drinker. Uh, you're a prophetess. Amen. Uh, she said, she said, I'm going to teach you something about a full schedule. She said, a full schedule as a leader can cause you to live off of adrenaline. She said, you have an adrenal gland on one top of one kidney, you have an adrenal gland on the, underneath the, the other kidney. She said, you can live in a high stress, high stress as a leader. And what happens is, you live on adrenaline. She says, as a matter of fact, when it starts filling up, you'll drink coffee. I still drink coffee. But coffee releases adrenaline in your system. Because you can get more hours in and get more done. And uh, college students know what I'm talking about. And some of you early morning risers know what I'm talking about. And some of you have to work overtime know what I'm talking about. Because you're keeping us awake. But at the end of the day, it's, it's pushing adrenaline into our system. And she said, it's breaking you down. She said, you've got to limit how much coffee you drink and you've got to change your schedule. The text I read tonight was if you pour old wine new wine in an old wineskin. They were bags. The bottle was not like they are today, but a wineskin, a wine bottle was actually a wineskin. It was, it was made out of leather, animals' skin. And what would happen is when wine would get in that new wineskin with new wine, wine ferments. And when wine ferments, it expands it to a point or to a limit. After a period of time, they sort of grow together. But when that wine is poured out and it has grown with the wineskin, what happens if you put new wine in the old bottle and that new wine starts expanding, 
that old wine skin has reached its limit and it burst and so the wine bottle and the wine is both lost. You can't grow without change. And your mind is like a wineskin. That, that how you used to think and how you should think when you come to God or even dimensional things in growing has to be willing to change or what God's trying to do in you now is going to be lost. When you come to God and you try to live for God and you have this mindset, well, this is how we roll. This is how we live. This is how I grew up. You're going to lose what God had because you grew in a family that reached a limit. And God has something new and better for you. It's just the truth. And you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I just want to have an empty bottle? Do I want to have just an old way or am I willing to change so God can expand how I view things and live? Do I want to be better or do I want to be old? Do you get what I'm saying? Because you have to choose to grow. It's a choice. Of rem I've had to in seasons take my mind and sit it here and say, God, I'm going to let that be the old way of thinking, but I want to see revival. I want to see lives changed. And it came to points that I reached limits and I reached places that I had to change the way I do things, to change the way I act, to change the way I think because I didn't want to be stuck in one place. And I get to heaven, God said, I had so much for you, but you didn't want to change it. You wanted to do it how other people do it. I want to do it the way God wants me to do it. I want to grow the way he wants me to grow. I want to live better. I want to be better. Somebody say amen. And when they began, I'm going to help you because you have to you have to realize I've got to be balanced to grow. I've got to be in a good place to make good decisions. And I'll never forget what they told me in that, that, in that, in that room. She said, she said, you're busy. And uh, she said, you've got to limit how much coffee you drink. You've got to limit your schedule. She said, your adrenal glands, you've learned to live with adrenaline, adrenal glands depleted. That's what she told me. She's the only one out of any of them that the hospital made any sense to me. And uh, she said, you've learned to live a depleted adrenaline life. And soon as your adrenal glands start filling up, she said, it's called rest. She said, when you have a day of relaxation and doing nothing, she said, your adrenal glands start filling up. And she said, when adrenal glands are filling up because of rest, the emotion you get is guilt. Hear me? You know what I was guilty about? On a Sabbath, on a day home, I would find something to worry about, find something to pray about, find something on a day that I just should have been relaxing, go on vacation. And Sister Brown, you know about one of those moments that you prayed for me. There was moments that I felt guilty about nothing. You know why? Because I got out of balance. What I'm teaching you is you cannot be successful living for God and always trying to push off guilt the whole time. The whole purpose of a Sabbath, the whole purpose of a Sabbath is to build strength emotionally, physically, spiritually, so you can make good decisions. How does this apply to me? I'm going to tell you how. Because if you're not careful about change, something's going to break. 
And what God's trying to do is going to be lost. And you have to be committed tonight. You got to be committed in the next few days. I'm just going to tell you, when you get married, you got to make a commitment. Am I going to think like my family? Am I going to think like I used to think? Is she going to think the way that? Or are we going to be willing to change wineskins and say, let's grow together. Let's let this new wine called marriage and change our wineskins so we can expand together. It's not about one growing. It's about growing together. Sunday, I'm going to be talking about growing together as a couple. You've got to be committed that I'm going to grow. I don't want to settle for something that's old when God has something greater for me. Why don't we stand to our feet? The Lord is in this place. Let me know it. I mean, be honest and say, at least in a season of my life, I, I had a lot of guilt in my life. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, felt guilty. I may be dealing with a little bit of guilt now. Yeah. And uh, it's not the will of God. Somewhere, God's going to change you because you're going to walk in perfect confidence. My, uh, I got my wisdom teeth taken out when I was 25. I got high, high, really high, because they asked me, they, they asked me, did I want to be put to sleep or numb? I said, oh, no, you're not putting a knife in my body and making me awake at the same time. I said, put me to sleep. When they woke me up, I heard, I heard somebody say, was in West Virginia, but it sounded like they're hollering at me from the Ozark Mountains. They set me up, and they let go of me. And I said, pow. <laughs> I'm driving home. I am high as a kite. I had never been. I didn't know what that was like. And uh, I saw two perfect Ford, Ford, white Ford Tauruses. I sound drunk tonight. Ford Tauruses. I was seeing double of everything. I mean, I was. And uh, I'm holding up my teeth. And I knew they had cut four, but there's only three in the bag. I'm still wondering, why did they give me my wisdom teeth? I don't know. What in the world? And I, I said, I said, I missed my tooth. I went home. Oh, up the road, I cried. I mean, when I was walking out the building, I was crying, I want you to come to church with me. I don't remember that exactly. They told me later, but they said, boy, he wouldn't have been much fun on the weekends. But um, all the way home, I was saying, I'm a bad, I'm a bad, I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad brother. I'm a bad son. You know, you know they, they tell me that stuff makes truth serum. You're going to talk about stuff on your, on your mind. And I was because I felt like as a, as a newly married, I wasn't spending enough time with my friends, my, my mom. We were traveling, and I was feeling guilty. And what you don't say to your wife when you're 25 and newlywed is, I miss my mom. And when I woke up, there was a video camera on me. My wife was videoing me, you know. She's not even here to defend herself now. But what I'm saying is, deep down, what some of you are dealing with is guilt. It's not good enough for anybody. Not confident in a lot of 
areas of your life, and it's just not the will of God. I think somewhere at the end of the day, you got to be able to say, I've done my best. I'm doing my best. I'm committed to growing. That doesn't mean I'm going to please everybody. But you can't ever please everybody. Somebody said, if you want to please everybody, sell ice cream. Probably still won't work. But, but somewhere you got to know at the end of the day, the Lord's love for me has not changed. I can't, I can't outgrow what I'm supposed to grow in the, in, the, in the process of how I'm supposed to grow. I can't pair, compare myself to somebody else. But I've got to know I am growing. God does love me. I'm where God called me. And I'm going to be all right. I'm going to do what God called me to do, and I'm going to be patient with it. How many know he's long-suffering toward us? That he gives us what? Salvation. Everybody say salvation. I'm, I'm asking you to, in the next, between now and Sunday, to reevaluate why you do what you do. And say, am I doing it because guilt is the motivator? Or am I doing it because this is the right thing to do? Because guilt is never what? Everybody says never of God. You can't be motivated by guilt. You can't be guilted. If somebody's guilting you into something, they're dangerous. Can't buy a car and feel guilty that if you, well, I just think it's a good idea. I'm sitting here for an hour with you. <laughs> You're going to buy it because you don't want to hurt the salesman's feelings. People do it because of that guilt causing them to make decisions that aren't righteous. You know what I say? Don't live in guilt. Live in faith. Live in confidence. I am what I am because of Jesus Christ. I can do all things to Christ which strengthens me. He's my strength. He's the lifter of my head. He, he's the declarer of who I am. Shouldn't have been guilty. Shouldn't be guilty. Shouldn't stay guilty. Guilt is not of God. How many's ever rested and you got up and had to do something because you felt so guilty? Feel like you're wasting time. Yeah. Guilt is not of God. Let's lift our hands. Come on, I want you to pray to the Lord tonight. God, I'm laying this down. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living this way. I'm not going to let emotions not from you. things in your life you wish you'd have never done and regretted. Guilt was a part of that. Would you raise your hand? Hands literally all over the building. No longer going to be motivated by guilt. You're going to be motivated by faith and love. Because you know God's hand is on your life. I wonder what would happen tonight if we took a moment before we went home. We said, I'm going to lay some things on the altar. I'm going to lay an old wine skin, way of thinking, past thinking. I'm going to be committed to thinking a new way and a better way. I'm putting off the old way. I'm going to put on a new way. 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, I want to change the way I think, why don't you raise your hand? Would you do that? So many hands all over this building. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, God is going to meet you at this altar tonight. If you will be committed to change, God's going to allow you to grow. Why don't we step out of our seats and make our way to the altar tonight and tell the Lord, I've given you my mind. I'm giving you my heart. I'm not going to live in the, the trauma of, of yesterday. I'm changing that. I'm not letting somebody make me feel like a victim any longer. I'm, I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to live powerful for Jesus Christ. He's changing the way I am, the way I live, the way I think. I'm putting on a new wineskin. I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. Come on, that's it. Today I make a covenant with God. Go ahead, Sister Kaylin, sing unto the Lord. Let's, let's begin to pray. Let's seek the Lord. Press as close to the altar as you can. So many people are coming to the altar. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.